I think there's every reason to be optimistic. They have built up a new young core without ever having to say we're going to strip it down and we're going to go two and fourteen. I'm excited to see what this offense can do, man. There, there are so many guys on this roster that can make plays and heading into this offseason. Like there, there's a lot to build on. Everyone's pretty much stayed healthy, which is always good. Hey Vikings fans, welcome to episode 75 of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. Chris Corso here alongside Vikings.com's Gabe Henderson and of course Jay Nelson. Ugh, this season was not the season that the Vikings thought it would be a 7-9 and nine finish to the season. And we have a lot of storylines to talk about with this Vikings team. We want to recap the season that was... And we also want to talk to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, who joins this week's episode. He's been reporting on Viking storylines all week from Gary Kubiak to the Viking salary cap. Very excited about that interview today. But obviously, first, we have a lot to discuss with Gabe and Jay. And I think the first thing I'm going to throw at Jay is he's been growing out this beard for the entire NFL season because of COVID. And now that the season's over for the Vikings, Jay has still not shaved his beard, and I have to look at it right now. So, Jay, why don't you explain that to to the Vikings fans here before we get into this season recap episode? Sure. It started off as me being stubborn because uh, back in June, after we had been in the pandemic for a couple of months, there were some coworkers who were giving me a hard time. I've always had some sort of facial hair for probably longer than some of you have been alive. It's been about 24 years at this point. I've had some sort of facial hair. Uh, and so long story longer after a couple months, people were giving me a hard time cause I kept shaving and they didn't. And I'm just like, all right, if you really want to see how this is going to go, then uh, I'm going to let this thing roll. And so we got from June until August and the season was starting. And I just told people after they were asking me when I was going to shave it, I said, I'm letting this thing go for the season. Let's see what happens. So I've kind of looked at this as my, uh, my, my, my COVID beard, and everyone thinks I look older and, and more grisly from it. And so I just look at it at this point and say, yeah, this is definitely a reminder of what 2020 turned into. So coming up here very shortly, I'll probably be uh, trimming it down. But at the same point, it's been kind of a fun little talking point, too. And everyone's always interested. And in, where's the beard today? So as of now, it's the 2020 COVID beard. And, and I'll, it'll kind of be a good riddance to be able to trim some of that stuff back and just uh, see the normal size of my face at this point. Well, it was not a season to remember for the Vikings or a season to remember for the world as a whole. So you should probably shave that thing off as soon as possible for us. 100%. I said at this point I could uh, go ahead and do my, my casting call for Castaway 2 and see if I could <laughs> supplant Tom Hanks. But after that, uh, this, this sucker's got to go away. <laughs> All right, let's get into Vikings. And Gabe, we talked on the Vikings postgame report the other day with Ben Lieber. And what I really want to start off with is a few positives the Vikings offense, man. Kirk Cousins wins NFC Offensive Player of the Week in a game where he had three touchdowns through the air, one rushing touchdown as well, where you got to see the gritty a little bit um, from Kirk, which was definitely um, a positive note to end the season. But this was a season where they took a huge leap statistic-wise, Gabe. And, I mean, we can start going through the list of Dalvin Cook's season, Justin Jefferson's record-setting season, Kirk Cousins having a career high in, in touchdown passes, Adam Thielen being the threat that he was in the red zone. But, 
Um, I just want you to kind of lay out what you thought in your first year with the Vikings of the Vikings offense uh, throughout the 2020 season. I, I think it was a great year for this offense. I mean, you really can't say anything uh, bad about this team other than, you know, that Colts game, the second game of the season where they only scored 11 points. And, you know, I guess the, the first half of the season when Kirk Cousins, you know, threw 10 interceptions, but going through a year where you have 6,292 yards, which is third most in franchise history, two yards shy of second most in franchise history, uh, 393 yards a game. I don't think there are many uh, bad things to say about um, this team. I mean, Kirk Cousins, 4,000 passing yards, um, 8.3 yards per throw, which is second in the NFL, 35 touchdowns, six in the NFL. Um, it, it started with him, and I think we, we saw – a resurgence of this Vikings offense post bye week after the Atlanta Falcons loss, which was uh, a horrendous loss in week five. But once we saw Kirk being decisive with his play calling, with his decision making, I think that opened up the run game, it opened up the passing game, it opened up everything for this Vikings offense. We know Dalvin Cook was the workhorse for this Vikings offense. He carried us through until Kirk Cousins found you know his rhythm. I mean, if he's not an all pro, whether that's first or second team, um, I, I don't know what to tell you. And then Justin Jefferson, I mean, just moving down to him, Justin Jefferson was the lightning bolt on this offense because you had Kirk Cousins doing this thing. You had Dalvin Cook carrying this offense, but you, you needed that extra spark. And we got that from Justin Jefferson, you know, setting almost every rookie receiving record in franchise history other than uh, reception touchdowns for a rookie, you know, breaking Randy Moss's record in receptions and reception yards. So th there are a lot – of positives to take away. I mean, Adam Thielen, another great season, 925 yards. Um, all those red zone touchdowns he had this year. I mean, it was just – I think it was, what, 13 in the red zone? So, I mean, it, it was just a, a great season by this Vikings offense. I mean, if we could change anything, you would probably say, hey, l let's look at this O-line and see what we could, you know, tweak there but and tweak here. But, I mean, Ezra Cleveland stepped in. We had a lot of guys play – a lot of snaps. And I mean, you look at this offense and you say, hey, this was the bright spot of this team. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't get it done, but the offense did what they had to do. Yeah, Gabe, when you hear Mike Zimmer say in his season-ending press conference that in the seven years he's been here, that this is the most explosive offense that he's had, I mean, that's a pretty big statement, but it seems like this is one of the best, obviously, stat-wise, one of the best seasons for a Vikings quarterback in franchise history. And it's pretty amazing because... The way the season started out for Kirk, he really did not get off on the right foot this season. Like, he had so many turnovers. I think he had, like, 10 or so turnovers yeah. in the first five or six games. Um, yeah, it was like 11 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, which was crazy. Exactly. And he ends up with 13 interceptions, which still isn't great um, for the season as a whole. I think that's third worst um, in the NFL this season. But when you start looking down the list of the of the offensive stats, fourth in offensive yards per game total, um, which is, I mean, that's probably one of the best since Mike Zimmer took over the team. Fifth in rushing yards per game, 11th in points scored, which is probably the, the one red color-coded thing that we see from the offense here from Jay. And 14th in passing yards per game, 8.3 yards per play for Kirk Cousins this year. That was good for second in the NFL 35 touchdowns, as we said earlier. That was sixth in the NFL and a career high for Kirk Cousins. Gabe, I, I mean, what are your just your thoughts about this Vikings offense looking into 2021? This Vikings offense is very young when it comes to the skill position. I mean, Adam Thielen's 30 years old, Justin Jefferson, 23. Uh, Dalvin Cook is in his mid-20s. Um, 
Ersmith Jr., Tyler Conkling, both of those guys are in year uh, three and year two. So there are so many things you can build on uh, going into this year. But with that said, there's going to be a lot more pressure on this Vikings offense to sustain that. So I think they're up for the challenge. But at the same time, I, I do think with the success that they had this year, I think this the sky is the limit for what they can do in, in years to come, especially this upcoming season. Uh, pretty much bringing almost everybody back if they can with the salary cap issues. Um, I, I'm excited to see what this offense can do, man. There, there are so many guys on this roster that can make plays, and that is what Kirk Cousins is going to do heading into this offseason. Like there, There's a lot to build on. And granted, everyone's pretty much stayed healthy, which is always good. Subscribe to the official YouTube channel of the Minnesota Vikings to get all the latest video content from the Vikings Entertainment Network. Watch segments from TV shows such as Vikings Game Plan and Vikings Connected. Catch original digital programming like The Voyage and Vikings Post Game Live. Hear from players and coaches, plus more. Visit vikings.com slash YouTube to subscribe today. The, the missing personnel this year, you, you heard it from Mike Zimmer, in his end-of-year press conference, he talked about the amount of snaps, the amount of starters that were missing this season. I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five starters that were missing from this team at, at key points in the year. Um, it all started with Michael Pierce opting out of the season due to COVID, the big-time free agent acquisition from the Baltimore Ravens. He obviously um, was considered a high-risk for uh, COVID-19, and he decided at the beginning of the season not to be a part of the season this year. And then Daniil Hunter goes down before there's even a game for the Vikings with that neck injury. So those were two huge hits to the defensive line, um, and we did not see the pass rush that we've seen in years past. And then you go down the list at the linebacker position, at the bar, Eric Kendricks, uh, Mike Hughes went down. So there were so many big-time injuries for this Vikings defense, and you also know the fact that we we lost a bunch of players in free agency this year, the Xavier Rhodes, the Trey Waynes, the Mackenzie Alexander. So a totally different young defense. Um, but I guess one positive that I could take, Jay, is, is the amount of snaps that these Vikings rookies were able to get this season on, on the defensive side of the ball, especially the young cornerbacks that were able to get big-time experience this year. Yeah, I think part of it was you had to take your lumps this year knowing that there was that much turnover. I think there were there was a lot of of eyebrows raised earlier in the season when there was discussion when it was, you know, Zimmer basically saying I've never had a bad defense and, and, you know, I don't expect to have one now, like that attitude's great and everything at the same point, the reality of the situation turned into, you just had a bunch of young guys who, who had never had NFL experience and some of them were coming into a new system if they were doing uh free agency. So it just, it, it turned into almost triage where you were just trying to get guys ready and it's next man up. And, you know, sometimes when you're missing some of those key guys, it's going to show. And I think that was part of the thing that we all hung our hat on at the beginning of the season was saying, well, at least we have a couple of big name guys who've been around on the defensive line and you've still got Barr and Kendricks. And then you've still got guys like Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris on the back end. You know, you have these veterans that can help get these young guys ready. But when those guys started going down, and you started losing out on a Daniil Hunter and an Anthony Barr early in the season. And then, you know, Eric was kind of the glue holding everything together, especially on the front end and the middle, helping erase mistakes. Once he went down, you definitely saw on the back end of the season how crucial he was on this team. So for me, it, it, it yeah, it was frustrating. And you saw a bunch of, of, of issues that way. And, and the statistically, the numbers all, all dropped, you know, drastically from the season before. 
But at the same point, I think kind of like we were talking about an offense, what you can build on for the future. Guys like Dantzler and Gladney are definitely getting some reps this year that's going to help for the future. And, and just think about how talented they were as rookies. Now you're going to talk about an actual offseason coming up working with Zimmer. That's going to be huge. And I just think those guys in year two, um, it just it, it's going to be a huge leapfrog forward. It reminds me, and I brought it up before, but I'm just going to harp on it again. Reminds me of the year that Aaron Rodgers went out for the Packers and they had guys like uh, Kevin King came in as rookies and they got picked on all that season in the following year when Rodgers was back and healthy, man. Those guys were absolute studs on those defenses. So I, I kind of look at it, same thing for us. As long as those young guys got these reps this year, it's going to help them leaps and bounds next year and year two. Picking off what Jay just said, like the, the biggest jump an NFL player has in his career is from year one to year two. So seeing what these guys can do in year two is going to be uh, very exciting to watch. And I mean, what, we had 13 rookies play this year? That says a lot about the trajectory of a team when you have all those rookies playing in a year and playing meaningful snaps and then moving forward to year two and seeing what they can do there. I I think the sky's the limit for a lot of those guys, but more so for what you just said, Jay, uh, Cameron Dantzler and Jeff Gladney, like, I'm looking forward to that also. I know Gabe is super high on Jeff Gladney and, and what he did this year. I mean, going from nine snaps week one against the Green Bay Packers to pretty much being the Vikings' number one cornerback all year. Um, pretty amazing what he and, and Cameron Dantzler did. Those two guys are definitely positives. Looking at some of the other positives, Eric Wilson was the one guy who was there like all year, man, for the Vikings linebackers. He played in every game. He was able to start. He was able to get a few interceptions, a few sacks. Big step for him this year, that's for sure. And then obviously the things that Eric Kendricks did this year before he was injured, um, 69 tackles this year. I mean, we all know what he means to this Vikings defense and, and the fact that he probably would have been an all-pro for the second year in a row if he didn't go down with that injury. Um, Just going down the list here, obviously Harrison Smith. Some people said he was going to fall off a little bit this year. He ends the season with five interceptions, tied for fourth in the NFL. Um, Definitely had a good year um, at the safety position, and and we definitely saw Anthony Harris take a little bit of a step back from his six interceptions, which were first in the NFL last season. He had zero this year. So I still think it it was a pretty solid season for Anthony Harris, and the big area, Gabe, where I thought the Vikings were lacking this year was the pass rush. There was really not a game where I could remember that the Vikings had that pass rush that they've had in years past. It's pretty amazing the performance of some of these young cornerbacks when there was really no dominating pass rush that we're used to in this Vikings defense with Mike Zimmer, Gabe. Yeah, I think a stat that just stands out that pretty much solidifies what you just said is the, the sack total. Like Daniel Hunter, 14 and a half sacks uh, in 2019. As a team in 2020, the Vikings had 23. You got 23 sacks, you add 14 and a half, you got 37 and a half sacks. So, I mean, that that says a lot when you talk about pass rush. And, and I mean, it, when you look at games like the Green Bay Packers in week one, you don't get a pass rush on Aaron Rodgers. That, that affects the outcome of the game. There were so many games, the Atlanta Falcons game, and it, it just came down to, like you just said, like we didn't have our our core guys coming into this year. We we knew during the preseason that you'll have your Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barnes and Daniel Hunters before we knew they would get injured, especially Daniel Hunter. But you, you take out those three guys, or just let's just say two guys, Daniel Hunter and Anthony Barr, two guys right there that make a lot of plays for this Vikings defense, that mean a lot to this Vikings defense, on top of the turnover that we had just had this offseason. That says a lot right there when it comes to 
uh, the production value that you're going to get on the field. Granted, you know, the, a lot of these young guys were put in, in some tough situations. I mean, you're, you're telling DJ Wanham to rush off the end against David Bakhtiari. Like, I was going to say, that's a welcome to the NFL rookie moment. You know, it's like, hey, you want to be up here at the big boys. Congratulations. You get David Bakhtiari today, which is going to be a meal for the entire game. Exactly. And just from talking to uh, DJ Wanham earlier this year, I mean, you, you he talked about that progression, just, you know, having to learn different moves, different techniques. Like you can't use the same move that you used in college. And it, it only resulted in, you know, him, you know, progressing throughout this Vikings defense and in the year with, I think, two and a half sacks, three sacks. And those are, you know, big sacks like that. That You're, you're saying a lot for a, a rookie defensive end who needs to gain some weight to come in and make immediate plays like that. So, not the best year, but a lot of positives moving forward. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to what DJ Wanham can do. I mean, one, you, know, you have to think of the play that he made in the game at Lambeau Field against the Green Bay Packers. I, I think when he took down Aaron Rodgers to seal the game, that was one of the biggest plays in the Vikings season and, and a play that really um, had the Vikings go on that run where we win five in a row um, on that streak. So uh, that was definitely one of the biggest plays in the season, and, and he's a player that that I will definitely look forward to on the Vikings' defensive line. Afadio Denebo, uh, three and a half sacks this year. Definitely not anything eye-opening from, from a jump that maybe we expected from him, but we know what he can bring as a secondary pass rusher to this Vikings defensive line. And then obviously you need to get Michael Pierce back and you get Daniil Hunter back, and, and I think a lot of things will fall into place. Hopefully a few draft picks at that position for Andre Patterson to work with, but I would expect the Vikings defensive line to be much improved heading into the 2021 season. Another area that needs to improve on this Vikings team is the special teams unit. Marwan Malouf will not be back as the special teams coordinator, according to Mike Zimmer in his in his end-of-season press conference. So, Jay, why don't you run us through some of the, the notes you have here on the Vikings special teams unit in the, in the year of 2020? We were 16th in kick return yards per game this year, which was identical to 2019. We just had 33 more attempts at the same point. Our average actually went down to 21.9 yards per, per kick return average. So it's one of those when, it, when you're 16th, in the league and you're kind of smack dab right in the middle it's it's nothing to write home to mom about but at the same point it was something that uh we held pad on that one where everything else seemed to trend downwards we were last in punt return yards per game we were last in percent of field goals made this season and we were 29th in extra points made so there was a lot of focus on Dan Bailey. He went through some rough patches this season and then he kind of brought it back together at the same point you know I think the the thing that's the most frustrating about this across the board for the season was we went into the season saying for the first time in a long time, we don't have to worry about special teams. And then by the end of the season, it still turned into a headache for, for the head coach and for the team. I just think they want to find consistency so bad that um, they're going to do everything they can this off season. I mean, they switched out the the long snapper at the end of, or at the beginning of December, it's something that they're going to continue to search for it. And maybe if they get another fresh set of eyes here coming in as a new special teams coordinator, it'll give them a fresh outlook on things. But I think in general, the head coach is going to look at this and say, just fix it. Whether it's making your extra points and hitting your field goals or flipping the field in the punting game, those are all key pieces that this team needs to consistently get better for 2021. Looking at some of the uh, key members of this special teams unit, obviously Dan Bailey did not have the season that we're accustomed to um, being one of the best kickers in NFL history. He was 15 of 22. Um, The percentage was last in the NFL, and his extra point percentage, 
37 of 43 was also last in the NFL, which definitely is not what you're accustomed to seeing with Dan Bailey. And then obviously what happened at the long snapper position, um, we had a, a guy from Rutgers, Andrew DiPaolo, um, pick up for Austin Cutting, who had a bunch of struggles um, at, at the early point in the season. He picked up for him on December 1st. The Vikings had to cut ties um, with a former draft pick. So that definitely was not a position where we had any stability either. Um, probably the one spot at the kicking position that we had some sort of stability um, was the punter. But still, uh, Britton Coakwood had only had 11 punts inside the the 20 this year which this is definitely a group that you're going to have a new guy in charge at this special teams unit we had some um, stability in years past with Mike Prefer Um, there's definitely going to be a lot of changes at the special teams unit looking forward we will get to looking ahead to the 2021 season here with Gabe but first join Adam Thielen and the Salvation Army in providing food shelter and care for our neighbors in need Text SKULL to 24365 to donate today. All right, Gabe. Well, now that we've gone through some of the positives on the offensive side of the ball and some of the negatives um, on defense and special teams, what is your number one key um, looking forward to 2021? Like, what are, What's the biggest storyline that you're looking forward to here as we enter the offseason and watch a bunch of other teams play in the playoffs? Like I'm really looking forward to seeing how we attack this this off season. I mean, we we know um, there are some contracts expiring. We we know there are some things we need to replace um, as far as position wise. But it's more so, you know, are we going to find another pass rusher? Are we going to um, try to fill a hole on the offensive line? Like, what are we going to do to attack this off season? What are we going to address in free agency versus the draft? And uh, seeing how all that shakes up. Uh, will will be interesting. We 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 know we have the weapons at a lot of positions. There are only you know a, a few holes here and there that can really set us apart when it when we're talking about making a run in the playoffs in 2021. So seeing how we do that will be fun and exciting to see. And I'm sure Rick Spillman and those guys uh, have a plan in place when it comes to uh, attacking this offseason. Jay, what's your biggest storyline heading into the offseason? I think it's going to be whatever the the turnover stability is going to be. You know, if, if we've already seen that Maloof is not coming back this year, and then I think for me the biggest linchpin on this thing is the Kubiak piece. Like, if Kubiak does decide to leave and then we're looking for a, a, another coordinator here for, what, six and six years kind of a deal – um, you know, is that something where, where Clint takes over or is this something where they bring somebody in from outside again and they have to go through and kind of get used to that again? Like the stability part is, is the part for me that is the biggest question mark. Now, if you're telling me that, you know, Clint takes over and it's going to be similar to what Stefanski did and what his dad did, then great. You should assume that the offense is going to take another step forward. And if that happens, then defensively, that is the thing you have to focus on. You know, that that was our, our biggest headache this season. Now, like we just talked about, all those guys had extra time this season to be able to to get some experience for the young guys and hopefully the old dogs come back and get healed. If that's the case, then that for me, that is what you're focusing on. But if all of a sudden you have a new offensive coordinator come in with a whole new scheme and a whole new system, then that turns into the the instability part. So I guess for me. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, if A stays the same, then we're going to go to B. Otherwise it's going to be, you know, fruit basket upset again and everyone's picking up the pieces and saying, okay, what do we got now? 
Zim's your guy. He's your leader. He's the one that's going to help set the tone for what he really wants out of these guys. But still, if they can get a normal offseason, then it just turns into getting comfortable with who you're working with and addressing the issues that we know were issued during the 2020 season. And and that's so important, right? I mean, before this season started, Kirk says before this year, he had had a different person in his ear the six years, like the last six years leading up to this year. So Gary Kubiak was in his ear last year with Kevin Stefanski, and then Gary Kubiak was here this year. So that continuity was huge for Kirk, and we saw it in his stats this year, where I guess his stats the past two seasons. So that's going to be huge, man, seeing what Gary Kubiak does because we, we've seen what Kirk can do if he has consistency, and I think that's what we're learning is – Kirk needs to know where everything is going to be, when it's going to be there. So having Gary Kubiak back will be huge. But like you said, Jay, we'll, we'll just have to see because that continuity is, is huge, not only for Kirk, but just in the NFL. Well, the Gary Kubiak storyline is quite the thing to follow. So why not hear from Tom Pelissero from NFL Network, who broke the news about the Gary Kubiak story. Let's go to the interview with Tom Pelissero right now. What is up, Vikings fans? Welcome back to the Minnesota Vikings podcast. And this week's guest, it's Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network. You've been covering the Vikings this season has been insane with COVID protocols, with everything going on in the NFL. So is it safe to say this has been the craziest year of your career covering the NFL? It's definitely been the most unique year. And my first year uh, covering the NFL was 2003 uh, with wow. the Vikings. Uh, and I was reminded of that recently when I was covering a uh, Dolphins game where Xavier Howard had a chance to match the record for most consecutive games with an interception. And I asked our research department, so who has the record? And the answer was Brian Russell, 2003 Vikings. I went, oh, yeah. I Throw it back. Throw that it is back. A, I mean, that is a full generation of players ago. Uh, but I would certainly say just the, the amount of, of challenges that teams have had to overcome uh, when you're talking about COVID-19, the pandemic, really rewind all the way back to the collective bargaining stuff that was going on through the course of the 2019 season, um, continued uh, through the postseason, really came to a head around combine time. And the Players Association voted to approve the CBA right before COVID really hit and upended uh, so much of things. And we went straight from CBA and labored around the clock in mid-March to, okay, now we're into a global pandemic. Uh, you know, the one kind of thread through the entire thing is the NFL has found a way. You go back to free agency. While everyone's going, free agency is going to be delayed. It has to be delayed. And listen, there's a lot of general managers who wanted that too. Yeah. The NFL went, nope, you're doing this. It's going to be different, but we're doing it. We went through a week of free agency, you know, around the clock on, on NFL Network. And then it was, okay, now we're back. The draft has to be pushed back. Nope. It was, we're going to find ways. We're going to, it was, you know, we're going to move you to an offsite location. No, no, you can't do that. Now we're going to be at home. Everyone's going, none of this is going to work. And they found a way. And the draft, even the people who are really concerned logistically about whether or not this was going to be doable, ended up. Um, you know, saying afterwards, you know what, that that went pretty well. It was pretty smooth. Uh, you know, obviously none of this is ideal, losing your OTAs, losing training camp, um, all the revenue challenges. You're talking about a multi-billion dollar revenue shortfall that uh, is going to impact the salary cap in 2021 and potentially beyond. You know, that, that's a big deal. That, that's a really big deal. But to play 256 games in 17 weeks amidst a global pandemic that we saw, you know, obviously at different stages, but it stopped the NBA. It stopped the NHL. Those leagues had to bubble up to come back and resume for their playoffs. Baseball had substantial disruptions. You know, the Marlins shutting down their season. The NFL really had uh, two 
outbreaks the whole season. It was Tennessee and it was Baltimore. You, of course, had cases everywhere because COVID is everywhere, except Seattle. They didn't have a positive test the entire season, which is still absolutely remarkable. But everybody else was dealing with this uh, throughout the course of the season. So uh, to give a very long-winded answer to your question, yes, this has been a very unique season. We're not out of the woods yet, but 256 down, 13 to go. Uh, and we're one month away here and a day as we recorded this from Super Bowl 55 happening in Tampa. It's amazing the way you have such a pulse on the league at this point in your career. I mean, covering from covering COVID protocols to, to just about every single storyline in the league, you just had a, a great answer kind of bringing that all together here as we wrapped up week 17. But you spoke about those challenges that all these teams are going through. And us with the Vikings, we know about the daily testing for the players and and the obviously the COVID reserve list and all the injuries that the Vikings had to deal with this year. So looking at the Vikings season as a whole, it's over now, 7-9 on the season. They don't make the playoffs. What are your overall thoughts on just what the Vikings had to deal with this year and, and how it ended up for the Vikings? Well, I think Mike Zimmer said it well the other day that maybe he, um, I can't remember the exact word, but miscalculated a little bit about when he upended so much of the defense and how quickly they could bring that together. Uh, you know, they also, when they're talking about making some of those hard decisions on guys like Xavier Rhodes and not re-signing Trey Waynes, not re-signing Mackenzie Alexander. Um, and, and listen, you know, Alexander and uh, Trey Waynes got paid a lot more money than the Vikings were going to anyway, but yeah. you, know, you had to make some of those calls and, you know, Zimmer who's never to this year had a bad defense was thinking, I'm going to be able to, to pull it together. You know, you didn't know, at that point, you weren't going to have any time. You weren't going to have preseason games. You weren't going to have a true training camp. You weren't going to have anything in the offseason. Uh, those all added to the challenge. And that's not unique to the Vikings. I think that what was unique to the Vikings is how hard they were hit on defense. When you had Michael Pierce opt out, which everybody kind of forgets about, but that was the big free agent signing uh, that they made to solidify the interior with Linval yep. Joseph moving on. Pierce opts out. Then you have Anthony Barr, uh, season-ending injury. Daniil Hunter has what initially was just he thought was a tweak in his neck. He ends up not playing the entire season. Uh, then you lose Eric Kendricks. And on top of that, you're trying to bring along a really young group of corners. You know, they won a game in Green Bay earlier this year with three guys who has names I had to look up on the flip card. I mean, that's that's really a rare thing. And then DJ Wolnum's the guy who goes and makes the big hit at the end of the game yep. uh, to seal the victory. You know, they, it is, you know, on some level, it's amazing that they even got to, I believe they finished seven and nine. It's amazing they even got that far because the defense had so many challenges through the course of the season. And in the end, it wasn't good enough. Everybody saw the game against the Saints on Christmas. It wasn't good enough. Uh, offensively, They've got the capability to be really explosive, and I think that they showed that. Uh, you'd like in some of those end-of-game situations, two-minute, you get the ball back with a minute to go and you want to make a big drive. Good offenses mount a drive, and there were too many times the Vikings had those opportunities and couldn't even get off the ground, whether it was because somebody was in Kirk's face or just you know they, weren't, they didn't make plays. Um, that's something that was an issue for them through the course of the season. But when you talk about coming back in 2021 with a healthy Dalvin Cook, who probably had his healthiest season that he's really had, uh, set out one game against the Falcons, uh, you know, that was – he probably could have played in if it were a bigger game yeah. or a game you know, that was, you know, critical at the end of the season, but they just wanted to get him healthy with the bye coming up. And then since I want the end of the year after the tragic pa passing of his father. Uh, but Dalvin was really productive when he was on the field. So you bring him back a healthy Thielen who missed a game because of COVID protocols. You bring back uh, Justin Jefferson, who had one of the, I mean, greatest rookie seasons by a receiver in NFL history. That's a pretty good nucleus uh, to be building around. And then on top of that, Kirk Cousins having uh, what was probably his best season. You know, you got to do some things with the offensive line. 
they're not that far away. Ezra Cleveland looks like he's going to be a difference maker for them. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, they have invested in that position with Garrett Bradbury, uh, Brian O'Neill. You know, they've just got to they've got to get that group together and, and get them playing at a little bit higher level. And you got some tough decisions on guys like Kyle Rudolph coming up. But there's, I think there's every reason to be optimistic as you move forward here. You know, you got a ton of picks because Rick Spielman always has a ton of picks, uh, and he'll <laughs> sure wheel and deal further before the draft. So you've got opportunities to. Uh, make further upgrades. You're going to have some tough decisions to make, um, you know, potentially with some of those other veterans as well. But, you know, they're, they're set up really well in terms of the young nucleus. And I think that's one thing that's a credit to what the Vikings front office has done is they have built up a new young core on that team on both sides of the ball without ever having to say we're going to strip it down and we're going to go 2-14. and 14. Yeah. So this, this was a rebuild season. Let's call it what it was. Not the quarterback position. Um, but defensively, it was a total rebuild. And offensively, you were going, well, are we really going to get Justin Jefferson playing at a high level? Is Ezra Cleveland really going to step in? The answer was yes in both those cases. A rebuild year, you went 7-9. to nine. Uh, There should be absolutely optimism about a bounce-back season in 21. That's for sure, Tom. And 13 rookies played snaps for the Vikings this year. So, obviously, they had to go to the bottom of the barrel. When it comes 13, with- go. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely can't. And you look at a guy like Jeff Gladney who plays nine snaps week one against the Green Bay Packers, and then he's playing just about every single snap for the last eight weeks of the season. So uh, I want to ask you about all these things on the Vikings side, uh, defense, on the offensive side of the ball, but you touched on some of the successes on offense from Jefferson. Kirk Cousins has his career high in touchdowns this season. A lot of that is because of Gary Kubiak calling the plays and Kirk Cousins have, having some sort of consistency from the year prior um, with Kubiak staying along on the offensive staff. You broke a big story this week about Kubiak potentially looking into retirement. So can you give us a little update of what you're hearing there and uh, kind of maybe some names that you're hearing that the Vikings would look at at the offensive coordinator position? Well, the Vikings certainly believe that Gary Kubiak is leaning toward retirement at this point. It would not be a surprise. And so naturally you're going to have to have uh, some backup plans. The logical option on staff would be Clint Kubiak. Uh, if you were, you felt like he was uh, ready to step in, yeah. uh, but there's other, other people who, you know, know that same scheme. I don't, the scheme is not going to change. If you take Mike Zimmer, what he said at face value, which I have no reason in this case not to, they want to stick with that wide zone outside zone uh, type of a scheme, just because that's how you set up the play action, the bootlegs, the deep shots, uh, which are the things that Kirk Cousins is best at. Uh, you know, remember the blocking rules in terms of assistant coaches, even if they're under contract, are far more uh, liberalized now in terms of if you are taking a true uh, offensive coordinator job, uh, you can go. It used to be if you were under contract as, let's say, the running backs coach, you couldn't go to an OC job unless the other team let you out. Yeah. That doesn't exist anymore because that was part of the uh, NFL's push to promote um, people of color to be able to have opportunities to advance, which was that was a restriction that was holding people back. And it really applies to all coaches of all colors. Uh, so you've got guys like Mike McDaniel, for instance, in San Francisco, who's a brilliant uh, run game mind. He's been a Kyle Shanahan assistant forever. They run kind of a, you know, I don't want to say updated in a bad way, but kind of an updated version or a permutation of uh, that same Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan offense out there in San Francisco. You know, that would be a guy who would be a logical target if you were seeing, if you were trying to bring someone in. And he's not the only coach. I mean, there's other guys out there who would know that type of a system. So if Gary Kubiak is done, I would expect them to have several different uh, contingency plans. And you're probably looking to, whether it's the 49ers staff, uh, the Rams staff, the Packers staff even, um, 
places where they run sim- that similar scheme, probably looking to pluck somebody else from that if you don't go with the in-house option, which would be Clint Kubiak. Looking forward to the NFL draft. I know it's super early, but the Vikings now know that they have the number 14th overall pick. What position could you see them going with there? I know Mike Zimmer's probably going to want to go defense, but interior offensive line, I mean, there's a couple places where you can go. So what would you uh, kind of predict at this point in the offseason? Well, they've addressed interior offensive line pretty high in the draft the past couple of years. You know, Ezra Cleveland could eventually, of course, be a tackle, but they've played him a guard and Garrett Bradbury the year before. Um, you know, I, I would certainly think that you have to be thinking edge rusher. I, and I don't know the draft board well enough in terms of who's coming. Nobody knows at this point who's coming out because that deadline's still a couple of weeks away. Um, but that's a position that's just – it's so important to the Vikings' defense. That's why, you know, with the, when Daniil Hunter was out and they brought in Yannick Ngakwe, you know, they were trying to find options. It just it didn't work out. Hunter never got back. They traded away Ngakwe. Um, they're still going to be looking for answers at that spot. So that's probably the number one thing. Plus, you know, free agency is always an option, but very few elite pass rushers – get to free agency. Yep. You know, usually you end up paying $17 million for Robert Quinn or Dante Fowler or somebody who's available for a reason. Uh, if you have those guys, um, you know, and they're highly productive, you generally don't let them go. Or if you do, you get two first-round picks in return like the Raiders did for Khalil Mack. You want to find those guys in the draft. Usually you have to draft them pretty high. Um, as much as they've got guys like Wonham who they like, uh, I would certainly think that, that would be a logical position. But as Rick Spielman will surely tell you on 10 podcasts between now and April, he will take the best player available regardless of position. Yeah, he's pretty good at, at doing that when it comes to the offseason, that's for sure. Um, looking at the playoffs, there's so many good games this week. We talk about it on this show, just going through the list of games. Obviously, in the AFC, I mean, the competition is unbelievable. But what is your number one game you're watching this week heading into the playoffs? The one I'm at, which is the Ravens-Titans game, I'll be down there in Nashville. Um, I think that one too. <laughs> I think that's just a, it's just a fascinating um, type of a matchup when you look at the history between these teams, the couple times that they have met uh, recently, including in the playoff game last year. But there's there's more at stake. I mean, there's a lot at stake for both teams. But I would say there's let's say more pressure on the Ravens and specifically Lamar Jackson because all they've heard is for all the success they haven't won a playoff game. They lost to the Chargers two years ago. Lost to the Titans last year at home. Um, you know, now you go to Tennessee, you're playing your best football. I mean, the Ravens have been red hot, uh, really since Lamar got back from the COVID list, uh, after Thanksgiving, uh, and you're facing a Titans team that, you know, has been a little bit of a, more of a mixed bag than you might've expected this year. They've struggled defensively. Uh, they've, you know, they've played guys. They had to bring up some practice squad guys playing them in the secondary. They bet on a couple of edge rushers and Vic Beasley and, um, Jadevian Clowney, speaking of that, uh, in free agency that didn't work out. Yep. So they've, they've got some challenges defensively. How do they combat that very diverse uh, run scheme that uh, the Ravens deploy with Lamar Jackson? And then on the other side of it, you know, you got Derrick Henry, who's once again somehow getting stronger, it seems like, as the season goes on, facing a Ravens defense that probably has fewer frontline names uh, than they might have had in the past. Uh, but certainly still a really aggressive unit with a really good defensive coordinator in Wink Martindale. Um, I just think on both sides of the ball, you know, I, it's one of those games where going into it, I have no idea if it's going to be a 13 to 10 game or a 44 to 41 game. Yep. You, you know what I mean? Like it, it could be either direction. Last year it was a high scoring game in the playoffs. I think it was 28 to 12 last year. So that one was, uh, you know, even that I consider to be a low scoring game with those two teams on the field. Um, 
you know, but you look at the defenses right now, especially Tennessee and the way they've struggled, you know, if Lamar can throw the ball, which is always the question because everybody gears up to stop the run, kind of dares him to throw, you know, he's going to have some favorable matchups on the back end. Can they combat that? And can Lamar exploit them? I think it's a great game all around. We'll be live on uh, game day morning, both days, because this is the super wild card weekend uh, in the NFL. That's which means right. three games instead of two with the two additional playoff spots now. So three games Saturday, three games Sunday. We'll be live from uh, 8 a.m. to noon both days on NFL Network. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. Good luck covering the playoffs and, and obviously the game against the, the Ravens against the Tennessee Titans this week. We appreciate it, Tom. You got it. Absolutely. The Voyage delivers unprecedented access to fans who will be able to get inside the office of Coach Mike Zimmer and have an insider's look and listen during his talks with the team. Viewers also hear directly from current Vikings who will be writing outcomes of games through their play on the field. Watch bi-weekly during the NFL season on the Vikings digital and social channels, including Vikings.com, the Vikings mobile app, Vikings Now, the team's connected TV app, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Watch today and find out more at vikings.com slash voyage. Thanks to Tom Pelissero for giving us some time when he is awfully busy. Heading into the NFL playoffs, we're going to talk about a breakdown of what the playoff picture looks like as it's locked in. But first, it's game day any day. Play the new Vikings scratch game from the Minnesota Lottery with a top prize of $100,000. Are you game? Just say, I'm in. Get more from mnlottery.com. All right, guys. It's time to look forward to the NFL playoffs. We were talking before the show. I mean, if you're a fan of the NFL, this is one of the most exciting years to watch these games. Gabe, why don't you tell us what some of your favorite matchups are this weekend as as we get ready to watch all these games i mean the big game is that i'm i'm pretty much watching this the pittsburgh steelers versus the cleveland browns we were talking a little bit off air I, this is a hot take but i honestly don't see pittsburgh beating cleveland at all wow like, i was watching a film on uh baker mayfield's just performance against pittsburgh this past sunday and he played like almost horrendous like some of the throws weren't there like he wasn't hitting his targets Granted, Jay said Ben Roethlisberger didn't play. You got to think Mason Rudolph played against backup corners on this Cleveland Browns defense. I mean, Denzel Ward didn't play. Kevin Johnson didn't play. The Pittsburgh Steelers scored on two of their last three drives, which made it a two-point game at the end. They basically got it to two the the last drive of the game, and basically it just couldn't finish it. But long story short, it was twenty four to seven for for a while during that game. And if, if both teams play a perfect game, I I, can't, I just can't see Pittsburgh winning that game with with, with Cleveland's pass rush, with Cleveland's defense, and uh, just getting pressure on Ben. It, it's I, I think they win this game. I wouldn't say convincingly, but they they win this game w- without a doubt. Vikings fans are definitely going to be tuned in to what the Cleveland Browns are doing. Obviously, with Kevin Stefanski. He did test positive for COVID-19 this week, so that will be a storyline to follow. Taking the Browns to the playoffs for the first time in 18 years, like I shot a bunch of those guys' texts this week just just congratulating them because that was quite the accomplishment, um, what they're able to do over there. But, Jay, 
What is your AFC game of the week with all these matchups? What are you looking forward to? Everyone's on the uh, Bills-Colts game because of the the high-flying Buffalo Bills offense. But honestly, for me, I am more intrigued by the Tennessee Titans versus the Ravens. I think that one has the ability to be complete fireworks because as of now, the Tennessee offense is averaging 30.7 points a game. Baltimore being the number two defense, only allowing 18.9 points a game. If you've got Derrick Henry, who's the rushing champ for the season, going up against that Baltimore defense, to me, that's going to be absolute fireworks. The criticism across the board has been, can Lamar get it done in the playoffs? Yeah, he's running all over the field and he's setting records for rushing and passing in in a season. But now you get to play with the big boys. You're going to Tennessee. And uh, to me, this is the one that is the complete coin flip for me on the entire weekend for the AFC side. So I'm really looking forward to that Tennessee Titans versus Ravens game. If you stop Derrick Henry, you, you got a chance to win that game. Like Baltimore's run defense is eighth in the NFL. Uh, they give up about 100 yards a game. So you would assume Derrick Henry would rush for 100. I mean, but I'm sure the Ravens are seeing nightmares from last year's playoff uh, game against the Tennessee Titans. So, man, I don't know. We got we to gotta see another Lamar. Like, ha- Lamar still hasn't won a playoff game. So can he win the big one? That's what I was saying. It's just like, you know, it's all going to hinge on Lamar for Baltimore because <laughs> – it just reminds me, Tennessee reminds me of when we had the Adrian Peterson insane seasons and everyone's like, all right, we're going to stack eight guys in the box and say good luck. And, yep. you know, the one thing that they do have is Tannehill still, he he is a good quarterback and he can make you pay with those wideouts on the outside. And, and even with uh, Jonu Smith running up the seam, like, you know, they have other weapons, but it's going to be the Derrick Henry show versus Lamar Jackson show. And let's see what the defenses do to stop both of them. While we're talking, we might as well round out all of the AFC games. There is one more game on the docket. That's the Buffalo Bills as the two seed against the Indianapolis Colts. The Bills have the number three passing offense in the league, obviously led by former Viking Stefan Diggs, who was the receiving yards champion this season led the NFL in receiving yards and the Colts defense, which the Vikings were able to see earlier this season, uh, the number eight passing defense in the league. So this is a a game where a seven seed could definitely come in and and beat a two seed. In my opinion, I know Buffalo's hot. They've won like five in a row, but I, I wouldn't sleep on those Colts. They they pretty much can do it across the board. Like, I mean, there is really no, weakness on their D-line and their secondary. So you got to think Xavier Rhodes is going to, you know, shadow Stephon Diggs no matter where he goes. I mean, just well, practicing against him in, in Minnesota the past few years, you got to think he knows everything Stephon Diggs is going to do. Th- think about what uh, Xavier Rhodes did to Adam Thielen when we played him. I mean, he knew literally every single trick he had up his sleeve, and we, we had no answer for it. So you, you got to think the Colts are going to lean that way. I think Philip Rivers is going to have a day, man. I really think that's going to be a really close-knit game. Um, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs are the number one seed. They will have the bye in the AFC, so they are the favorite on that side heading into this this year's playoffs. And it's going to get a little sour talking about some of these NFC games. I mean, to see the Chicago Bears as the number seven seed taking on the Saints – who we were able to upset last year in the playoffs, the two versus seven seed. I don't even want to watch that game. Like, it's just going to kill me, Jay. The Saints had an insane season in which they lost Drew Brees for a good chunk of games and they still got it done. So, I mean, the fact that they're sitting here at a number two seed is just incredible. 
So the I, I, I look at this one. The Bears are resurgent. They're coming through. Trubisky's been playing better. Montgomery is doing what he's doing defensively. They're 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 healthier. But what I saw was a lot of mistakes this last weekend, even in the game versus the Packers, where they should have had three interceptions on on Rodgers and they just, you know, ham handed them and dropped them. So for me, I just feel like New Orleans being at home, being comfortable, they're going to get that thing done. Um, you know, they already beat them once this year in week eight, 26 to 23. So for me, I just feel like the Saints are going to get it done here against the Bears again. They're just, they're, they're going to be too much for them. And there was the discussion as well that they're going to get some of their weapons back off of IR, in, including Thomas. So if that's the case, then look for the Saints team to have some guys that are rested and, and ready to go against this Bears defense. Looking at some of the other matchups in the NFC, the Seattle Seahawks are taking on the Rams. The Seahawks are the three seed. The Rams are the six seed. I like Russell Wilson in a playoff game, Gabe. I don't know about you. If Jared Goff doesn't play, Seattle wins this game convincingly. If he does, I think it's a tighter game. Um, Seattle's offense playing against L.A.'s defense, I think uh, Russell Wilson is going to have some problems there. So if he can't score – and Jared Goff can score, of course. That, that's the name of the game, score more points than the other team. I, I think L.A. wins. But if L.A. doesn't have uh, Jared Goff, there, there's no way um, Seattle loses this game. I mean, Seattle's pass defense is you know one of the worst in the NFL. And if they don't have a, a challenge this week, I, I think Russell Wilson figures a way out to, to beating this L.A. Rams team. Another interesting game in the NFC is the Washington football team who gets the four seed. Did you ever think that was what was the, would be the case? I knew this Washington football team's defense would eventually, you know, poke their head up and say like, "Hey, like we're here to stay." It was more so the Washington football team finding a quarterback and just being there the past two years. Alex Smith was the perfect quarterback for that offense. Like you don't need somebody that's going to throw for 300 yards. Like you just need somebody who's going to game manage. And, and that's pretty much what Alex has done. Um, I think Tampa Bay will win this game, whether Alex plays or not. But at the same time, if Alex Smith plays, the game is a lot closer. Um, but I'm, I'm giving Tampa Bay the edge. But I, I, going back to your question, I, I didn't think Washington will make the, the playoffs this soon, man. Like this is this is miraculous to watch. But like, like, we, like I said a few weeks back, um, Roger Goodell should have stepped in and said no team from the NFC East is allowed to play in the playoffs the, the next uh, two seasons. A team seven and nine making the playoffs like that—that is—it's it, it's fun to watch. But it's like, dude, like you got so many other teams with better records that could have made it. But we'll see, we'll see. And they got a home game at that. I agree with that, Gabe, and and it definitely is a note that Bruce Arian said in his press conference this week. This Washington football team has been a different team since Alex Smith took over. I mean, he's 5-1 and one as the starter since Dwayne Haskins um, was, was benched by the team. So it's pretty amazing what he's been able to do coming back from that injury that he had. I don't know if you guys have seen that documentary, but it's unbelievable um, what he's been able to do. And I'm sure you, you knew him pretty well, Gabe. So um, definitely a great story there. And I'm always rooting against Tom Brady, so I hope that the Washington football team can pull the upset, Jay. Washington versus Tampa, it's it's the number two pass defense versus number two passing offense. So something's got to give, like Gabe was saying. In general, for me, just looking at how this whole thing is seated and how it goes, I just think... I think Tampa gets it done too, and they're going to play the Packers in round two. And I think uh, for me, it's going to be the Saints versus Seahawks. And ultimately, when it comes down to, you know, we don't like doing predictions or anything in general, but since this is the last one for 2020, 
I, I think it's going to be a, a Seattle Green Bay NFC Championship, and and I think it's going to be probably the the Chiefs versus the Bills, and in there, and and I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be a, a chalk. I think it's going to be a, a Packers versus Chiefs Super Bowl down in Tampa. I think Tampa's going to have their hearts broken here. Luckily for them, it's not going to be the NFC Championship game like it was for us in seventeen. But um, yeah, it'll be be funky for them to see that going on in their home stadium. If they don't make it, here's the thing. If, if somehow the bucks get out of this one and they actually beat the Packers, then good luck, man, because that is going to be insane motivation for them to get, get to that super bowl at home down in Tampa. Gabe, what's Whoa. your, uh, your super bowl prediction? My heart goes with Kansas city on, on in the AFC, but I really think like Baltimore or Cleveland could, could upset a team like could, could, really make a could make a run I guess Kansas City like my heart goes with them on the NFC side it's hard not to go with New Orleans man like it 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 really is I mean just with everything they've been through uh, it's just like all right well this year is going to be the year like this year is going to be the year that they they figure it out but Green Bay right now is the best team they got the number one seed and you're going to have to go to a snowy Lambo and beat Green Bay in a snowy, empty Lambo um, to say you're the NFC winner. But if you look at our schedule, uh, seven of our nine losses came against playoff teams this year. So I, I think you can hold your heads high on that. And I think, you know, it gives us a little bit more um, happiness watching the playoffs this year, knowing that, hey, at least we didn't lose to uh, just some slap team, right? I think this something special is going on with this Buffalo Bills team. I mean, heading into the playoffs, I think it's all about who's hot at the right time. Five wins in a row. The, the points that they're putting up on offense, I think, is just a, a plus to the, the defense that they have over there in Buffalo. I think they are the team that has a chance um, to upset the Chiefs. So I'm going to go a little bold in the AFC and in the NFC. It's really hard for me to go against the Saints, like you said. Like I, I just think the Saints, the what they have and how it's all coming together at the right time um, for them with Drew Brees coming back and how they were able to hold it together all season, I think that's the team that, that that's going to get out of the NFC. So I'm going Buffalo Bills against New Orleans Saints, and I'm going to have to unfortunately say that I think the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl. The five falls of Buffalo. Wow. That's 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 my pick, but um, it, it's definitely been a fun season doing all these shows with you guys, and, and thank you, um, obviously, for Cy Amundsen as well, to all the Vikings fans for listening all season long. Um, continue to check us out on all social media platforms. We'll be covering all the breaking news this offseason, um, from free agency to the draft um, to just about everything that you need to know. Um, Gabe Henderson will obviously be interviewing players, analysts, uh, just about everybody we can get to give us some sort of insight on the key storylines heading into the offseason. Um, now that the season has officially come to a close, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. Um, as the playoffs will ensue, we'll let you guys enjoy that. We're going to enjoy it as well <laughs> after a long season here with the Vikings Entertainment Network. So we'll probably pick it up here in a couple weeks to start our off-season edition of the Minnesota Vikings podcast and some of our other shows. We have a lot planned for the off-season this year. But until next time, we will see you soon. And Skull Vikings, and, and let's just hope that 2021 will be a better year than 2020.